Hello, everybody. It is wonderful to see you today. Hi. So my name is Sarah Fletcher. And yeah, you might be able to tell these are my people over here. I work with Chi Alpha Christian Fellowship at the University of Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, it is so much fun. I get to disciple women. I get to teach on leadership to faith. I get to have co uh, coffee with college students all the time. Uh, I get to do, some, one of my favorite things is I get to lead spring break missions trips. Uh, yeah, in fact, I was in North Africa uh, a week ago, exactly. I think we have a picture here. Huh. Huh. Well, if you can't see the picture, that's okay, because actually most of them are right here. Hey, yeah, good to see you folks. Oh, there we go. Aren't they cute? Um, so I love my job. I love what I get to do. It is such a pleasure. But it also teaches you things about yourself. So I, in working with college students, and surprisingly, especially with working with my coworkers, have learned one thing about myself I did not know previously. I am incredibly gullible. Uh, <laughs> Yes, this is an unfortunate truth. I like to call it trusting. You know, I think that's a nicer word, but, uh, but people call me gullible. Uh, I feel like every semester, someone else is duping me. One of you, you know what, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, so for example, uh, I have a friend. We'll call her Blair Brake, because that's her name. Uh, <laughs> Blair Brake once convinced me that she was a childhood ice skating prodigy. You know, why not? I, if you're telling me that, she actually had a newspaper photo about it. She was like, that's me. And I was like, really? Oh my gosh, it wasn't her? She totally duped me. So that is one example. Uh, one, one particular story that really, really gets me. I, uh, I had a friend named Tyler. He was on staff with us at the time. And he lost a game. And because of that, the people who were playing the game with him got to text anybody on his phone anything they wanted. Somehow, out of these 300-some names, of course, Sarah Moss Fletcher. There she is. Let's text her. So I get this text. I'm at home. It's an afternoon, and it's from Tyler, and it says, Sarah, I need your help. You are the only one that can help me. He said he was dating one of my friends at the time. He said, I'm at Jump Seaville, and I'm in the bathroom. I had something bad at lunch, and Sarah... I have to say, my pants are ruined, and I can't go out, and I'm on a date with Allie, and I'm so sorry, but can you please bring me a pair of pants? I'm like, this cannot be real. <laughs> like, you couldn't text a dude? Like, I know I live near here, but oh. And he's like, Sarah, please, please. And I'm like, no, 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 this can't be real. So I call Allie. Allie, where are you right now? I'm on a date at Jump Seaville. This poor boy, this poor boy is trapped in the bathroom. And so, Allie was in on it, of course. I actually got to the point, I was living with a couple at the time, and I walked upstairs and I walked to Josh and I said, Josh, I need a pair of your pants. <laughs> he said, what? And I said, I can't tell you why. Just know that it's for a good cause. I need a pair of your pants. You guys, I was out the door before they told me. Um, I'm pretty gullible. I'm pretty trusting. In fact, sometimes I have been so gullible that it's actually swung me the other direction. Do you guys know how that happens? You like believe a couple of things and then you just become an uber skeptic. I am looking for clues everywhere. I'm like, they're smiling. Why are they smiling? That's suspicious. 
Are other people smiling? That's suspicious. Um, and most of the time, this isn't harmful. But I've, I have had these moments where I've seen my skepticism come into my faith. And that I am disappointed in sometimes. I'll, I'll be reading the word, and especially when I get to the miracles, I start to think, man, if I had been there, would I have believed it? Would I have been one of those people who saw the power of Jesus and received it, or would I have been one of those people who walk away hard-hearted? I don't want that to be me. So I was reading in the Word one day, and I was in John, and I came across this miracle, and it really struck me because I realized that if I was a witness to this miracle, even if I was a skeptic coming in, I would have had to believe that this was real. I would have had to believe that this is true, that there were too many people present. There were too many factors pointing to the truth. The the people, the characters in it were so known by everybody there. The emotions were so real. This had to be the truth. That is the miracle that we're going to be reading about today. So if you have your Bible, would you please turn to John 11? We are going to talk about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. John 11, verse 1. It's on the screen if you need it, but also feel free to follow along. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he rounded up the nearest camel. He told his slowpoke disciples to catch up when they could, and he left within the hour. No, never mind. Sorry, that's not it. That's the SET. It's Sarah's expectation translation. We're uh, reading the NIV. Um, So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. What do you mean Jesus stayed where he was two more days? Jesus loved these people. He knew these people. Lazarus was called a friend, someone that Jesus loved. Mary and Martha had had been hospitable to him so many times. Jesus and the disciples had been in their living room. These are the sisters that we like to call the ones who had conflicting ideas about hospitality. This is them. Like, we know them. The disciples know them. The whole town knows them. So when the sisters say, Lazarus is sick and about to die, Jesus waits two more days. And not just that, it says Jesus loved them. So he waited two more days. This means something very interesting must be ahead. And somehow, it is for their good. Sometimes God makes us wait for a good reason. So the two days pass. Jesus knows that Lazarus has died. And now he says to his disciples, yeah, we'll go now. Now's the time. So we're going to skip to the action. We're getting to verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Martha thinks Jesus is crazy. 
Uh, she's saying that Lazarus's body is already decaying, and that on top of that, do you notice that she says how long he's been in there? That's really important because in the Jewish tradition, when, a, when someone died, their soul left on the third day. That's what was believed. She's like, Jesus, it's the fourth day. The soul is gone. There is no hope. Why are you even here? Honestly, I wonder if she's even scared. She doesn't want to be reminded of her grief. It's hard enough to be at the tomb, let alone to have it opened. But Jesus loves her, and he's come for a reason. Verse 40. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out. I heard a preacher say once that if he hadn't have said the name Lazarus, that the entire cemetery would have emptied. <laughs> Every single body just come crashing through the rocks. It's incredible. He had to say the name because there's so much power in the command of Jesus. Lazarus, come out. And he was back four days after death, even though this was a physical and spiritual impossibility. He was back even though Jesus was operating in a public place with crowds of mourners watching. He was back even though some of those people in the crowd were the same ones who embalmed Lazarus and know that beyond a shadow of a doubt he is dead. Against all of these odds, with all of this visibility, when everyone said it couldn't be done, with every skeptic now standing with their jaw hanging to the ground, Lazarus is back. And this is our first point for the morning. Jesus has the power to restore life. Amen. First of all, physically. Lazarus was restored physically. His body was gone, but his body was renewed. Life was brought back from death. But not just physically. Jesus also has the power to bring life back to dead places relationally. Lazarus was Mary and Martha's brother. This was a relationship that they thought they would never get back. It was hopeless. It was gone. And in this culture, this was really important. We have no evidence that Mary and Martha were married, and this was a man's culture. That men were the ones who had legal ability, that they could make the money, that they were in control of things. And so to lose the man in their family was a huge, huge issue. They were terrified. And on top of that, they're losing someone they loved. And just as much as it was a miracle that God restored a physical body, it's a miracle that Jesus restored a relationship. That was so, so important. Jesus restores relationships. And finally, as he's working this physical and relational miracle, he's also working a spiritual one. Mary and Martha had their faith restored. We skipped over this section, but the sisters have no more than a couple of paragraphs but it's so powerful. Both of them are going to see Jesus separately, and when they come up, both of them ask the same question. They say the same thing. They say, Jesus, if you were here, Lazarus would not have died. They have this spiritual doubt. They have this spiritual frustration. They don't know what to do. They don't know how they can trust Jesus anymore. 
they asked the same question. They said the same thing, but it's really, really interesting. If you look at it, Jesus responds to them completely differently. So Martha says, if you were here, Lazarus would not have died. And then Jesus speaks to her. He says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He responds with the theological truth of his divinity because Martha needed a restoration of truth. She needed to know that what she believed was real, that it was true, that Jesus was who he said he was, and that he had it under control. But Mary, when she says, if you were here, Lazarus would not have died, we get the shortest verse in the Bible. What do we see? Jesus wept. Isn't that incredible? That even though Jesus knew he was having dinner with Lazarus that night, he still wept. Jesus is perfect. And because of that, that means Jesus never turns off his heart. He doesn't have to. He's not afraid of it. He can have perfect hope and perfect grief at the same time. And Martha may have needed a restoration of truth, but Mary needed a restoration of trust. She knew who Jesus was, but she needed to know who she was to him. I think that's so beautiful. So we see a physical restoration, we see a relational restoration, and we see a spiritual restoration. Jesus does this in our lives. Sometimes it's the physical, sometimes it's the relational, sometimes it's the spiritual, sometimes it's all three. How many of you have experienced the power of Jesus in your life? Yeah? Okay, good. I can see some hands. I should. Today, as I speak, this marks the start of a new series for City Church as we head up to Easter. And I chose this passage very, very intentionally because it is giving us, it's, it's the shadow of a greater miracle that's about to come. And when we think about the power of Jesus, often we think of the needs in our lives. And God still works in power in that way. God still heals, God still restores, God still strengthens, and we should pray for that. But every Christian has already experienced one miracle, a lot like this one that already met our deepest need. Jesus brought life back into us when we were dead in our sins. Amen? Scripture says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin leads to death, and none is righteous, no, not one. All humans carry the presence and the inevitability of death in us, and it is hopeless. We are the walking dead. Katie, that reference was for you. My sister's here. Um, we're walking around with death in us, but Jesus looked at all of us walking around, hopeless, already sentenced to our tombs, and he felt compassion, just as he did for Lazarus. And thank goodness, Jesus decided to do something about it. But we're getting back to that. Let's finish the story. Moving on. As Lazarus is restored to life and we experience new life inside of us, when we put our trust in him, something else has to happen. We're going to see what it is. All right, so Lazarus has just come out from the grave, right? Right? Okay. So I want you to imagine it in your head for a moment. Close your eyes. Feel free. Nobody's looking at you. You're fine. Okay. The stone has been rolled away. Crowds are watching. Jesus is standing looking, and with power, he speaks, Lazarus, come out. Can you see it? Is there like a light shining down, or maybe the angels are singing? It's a pretty majestic scene, right? 
wrong. You're all wrong. All right, we're having a moment. I'm going to share a story with you really quickly. When I was in high school, I did theater. <laughs> did theater. Um, I was in this show once called The Chinese Wall. Y'all, this was such a bad play. It was so weird. Uh, it had all of these characters from different eras of history. It had Romeo and Juliet. It had Napoleon. It, had, it all took place in a Chinese dynasty. It was so strange, and it was supposed to represent life and how everything is always the same. And it ended with a nuclear bomb going off. The lights went out. The lights came back up, and it started all over again. Very, very weird. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I was in this play, and I was the very, very important role of old Chinese man number two. <laughs> this wasn't a speaking role, <laughs> um, but it was a very important role. I had to glue a beard to my face every single night for it. I wore these long robes. I had gray hair. I was old Chinese man number two. So, you know, the, the show would go on, and every once in a while, old Chinese man number one would walk across. That was my friend Sophia. And then, Old man number two would walk across, that was me, and we wouldn't say anything. Very, very important. <clears throat> There's a reason I'm sharing this, besides the fact that it's just ridiculous. Mom, I'm so sorry you had to watch that show. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, so it's the final night, the final scene. We're about to see the nuclear bomb go off, and what happens is the lights go out, and everybody has to get off stage. Everybody has to be gone, because it's the fresh start. And I'm on, on the platform in the back, old man number one, old man number two, got my long Chinese robes, I don't know. And, uh, and so obviously I'm not a man, okay? I'm a woman. And so along with this beard, I'd had to, to bind myself, so I, I looked a little more like a man. And uh, I was in the, we're like 20 seconds from lights out, and I can feel it slipping. Um, oh no. I'm in a long robe, I can't like do anything. I'm like trying to breathe as heavy as I can to keep my chest out. Like, this is fine, it's fine, it's fine. I didn't have any time to think. And then it fell, the lights went out, I went for it and I slammed onto the stage. The old man number two just flat out. In like four seconds, the light came back on. Old Chinese man number two is like, <laughs> dragging himself off stage. Oh my gosh, my director was so mad. He was looking at me and he was like. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was the worst. Um, it was absolutely hilarious. I share all of that to say, we need to look at the verse again. <laughs> Reread verse 43. Okay. <clears throat> when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, let's keep reading, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Y'all, Lazarus had been mummified. Like, this isn't some beautiful outcomes walking Lazarus. Like, he is completely bound. This is actually probably one of the funniest moments of scripture, in my opinion, like, because I need you to imagine it again now. Lazarus is trying to come out of the grave, and he is completely wrapped up. I just think this is so funny. Okay, um, great. <laughs> so we're, we're going to, I want to help you with this a little bit. Can, can you all say, Lazarus, come forth? Okay, good. That was the practice round. I'm Lazarus now. Can you say it again? I'm alive. Wow. This is, 
this is, this is, thanks, Jesus. This is pretty great. Uh, come forth? Yeah. I'm a little tied up in here. Can you help me? No? No? No, I can do it, Jesus. I can do it. <clears throat> I got it. It's all good. We're fine. Like, I don't know. Did Lazarus, like, roll? Did he roll the rest of the way? Did he hop? I don't know. But <laughs> this is the funniest scene in Scripture. So out comes Lazarus hopping all the way. Phenomenal. It's just phenomenal. Uh, so Jesus, so here he is. He's hopping because Jesus is worth running to no matter your, your situation. And as all of these people are staring, gate-mouthed, probably maybe someone was giggling, we read on, Jesus said to them, take off his grave clothes and let him go. It was the word of the Lord that had raised him. But Jesus' words when he got to the front of the tomb were to all the people who had witnessed it. You unbind him. This is our second point of the morning. Our community has the power to free us from the remnants of our old life. Jesus has no problem unbinding grave clothes. He could have made them gone in a second. But instead, he decided that the community would be the conduit through which he showed his power. When we are physically dead, we have physical grave clothes, but we know that this miracle was also pointing to Jesus bringing life to us spiritually. When we are spiritually dead, what are our grave clothes? Grave clothes are all of those things that the world has trapped us in, saying that it would keep the nasty in our souls from seeping out, helping us to look as good as we possibly can as we rot on the inside, things that keep us bound up. These are our grave clothes, and Jesus brings life to us. But when we step into new life, we're still a little wrapped up, aren't we? What are those things? Uh, I'll be blunt, sometimes it looks like anxiety, eating disorders, alcoholism, a desperation for control, thirst for esteem, pornography, PTSD, fear, not to mention just envy, greed, lust, lying, cheating, gossiping, shame, doubt. These are our habits we walk out of the grave with. And the only way to get free is having people close enough to you to take the grave clothes off. Lazarus couldn't do it by himself. People who have not allowed community to really get close, every time Jesus says, follow me, they're doing the bunny hop. They're trying so hard, but it's so difficult to follow Jesus when you're all wrapped up from death. As a body of believers, we are called to do everything possible to help people get unbound. Only then can we walk out our new life in freedom and power. I've experienced this. I, I know that this is true because this has been my story of the past 10 years. When I came into college, I think I was honestly a little emotionally stunted. I had phenomenal grades. I didn't cause trouble. You can actually ask my mother that. Um, but I also was so wrapped up in my performance and staying even keeled that I was pretty distant from real life. And instead of dealing with hard things, I just sort of pushed them to the side, ignored them, pretended that studying harder made all of my problems go away. If I didn't have Christian friends who are willing to confront me, I'm pretty sure that the person up here speaking today would be a robot. Um, I remember one friend who really helped me with this, actually. 
she was asking me about some things going on in my life, and I was, I was sharing all of the facts and none of the feelings. You guys know when you do that, you're like, you'll, you'll say what's going on, but you're not actually sharing what's going on in your heart. And I'd say, well, it's hard because, and she'd say, no, 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 how do you feel? I'd say, well, I haven't really been sleeping a lot lately, and she said, that's not a feeling. And then, I kid you not, one day we were hanging out, and this girl's asking me questions about my life, and I, I do the same thing, and she whips out a sheet of paper, and it is a list of like 200 feeling words. And she said, pick three, we're gonna practice talking about this. Okay. So I took this sheet of paper, and I started realizing that I needed to be more upfront about what I was feeling if I was ever going to handle it. I wasn't going to get through it if I wouldn't talk about it. And can I say, I, there is no way I could be a pastor today if that friend hadn't have helped me, if that friend hadn't have told me that shoving everything aside isn't okay. We need Christian community to help us take off those trappings of our old life. Can I tell you the place I think this happens? Small groups. Small groups are phenomenal. I've been privileged to be part of some amazing small groups in my time. And, and City Church calls them life groups. It's kind of fitting, right? Uh, small groups aren't just for hanging out. Small groups aren't just for potlucks and keeping you busy on a Wednesday night. Small groups are about getting to know Jesus, letting him work miracles of life in us, but then about living out truth and grace in community. We live out truth by being honest about our grave clothes and not letting other people fake that they don't have any either. We live out grace by forgiving each other because we all kind of bump and bruise each other when we're trying to get out. When you're leaving an old life, it can get a little messy. There's elbows flying. And so we live in grace, forgiving each other the whole way. And that this is how the Christian community walks into flourishing ministry. We help people get free so they can follow Jesus well. City Church is a place that believes in the miraculous power of Jesus to transform us. City Church teaches well about the life that we get from God. But I don't want you to miss that City Church also really, really cares about a community that helps you get unbound. I'll say it for them. You should join a life group. You should join a life group. If there is anything in your life that it seems to be holding you back from following Jesus, if there are any things you feel trapped by, if there are patterns that you hate, if there are places inside of you that still feel dark, that doesn't need to be your truth. There are people who would love to help you get out of those grave clothes. Maybe you've been praying every day that God would help you with them. But Jesus might not want to do that for you. He might want the person three rows in front of you to do it. Or six seats down. Or up in the balcony. God has ordained that people would help us to live out the life that he has given us. We can be free. So as we head, head towards the close, I want to remind us of something. The resurrection of Lazarus points to an even greater resurrection that's going to come in not six months later from this story. Jesus would carry a cross 
He would be nailed to it, beaten and mocked. He would die as he hung there, and he would be put in a tomb with a stone rolled in front, wrapped in grave clothes in the darkness. But then he rose again. Jesus didn't die on the cross for our sins just so that we could have a marginally better life in a broken world. He didn't die just so that we could follow some rules that our culture calls antiquated. While Lazarus was resurrected back to life on earth, Jesus says that if we trust in him and call on his name, we will share in his resurrection, which is to life eternal, a lasting resurrection. And one we know is real because he experienced it first. One we know we can have because he promised us so. Do you guys want to hear something really beautiful? In the Gospels, we're told that when the disciples come to the tomb to find Jesus, they don't actually find it empty. They find his grave clothes there. Jesus left without any grave clothes. Band, you can come up. This resurrection that we will have in Jesus is one where we will be given victory, finally, over every single remnant of death, tripping and wrapping us up. Amen. It will be one that is physical in nature and lasting. It will be one that restores us relationally to both God and man. And spiritually, it will mark us as the holy people of God. Firm in truth and firm in trust of the one we love. There are some of you who also may be like me and have that little skeptic in your heart. And I encourage you today, don't let it hold you back from the hope you have in Jesus. John 5, 28 through 29 says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And if we call on him, we're going to come out of our tombs looking a lot different from Lazarus. Isaiah 61.10 says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. We will wear the garments of salvation and the robe of righteousness. The day is coming when our broken bodies will be made perfect, this broken world will be restored, and we will once again be one with God. This is our hope. And this is our promise. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But until then, I want to encourage you. There's three encouragements I want to offer. And the first is if you are in this place and you have not yet placed your hope and trust in Jesus, there is life for you. You don't have to carry around death in your body anymore. You can trust in Jesus and start to experience that taste of life right now. Now, don't leave this room without asking Jesus to be with you. There are going to be people, as we start to worship, who will be ready to pray with and for you. Second, 
Some of you are living the Christian life. You know that Jesus has given it to you, but you're still wrapped up in your past life. There are habits, there are things in you that you wish were not there, and you have been praying for it, but maybe you just need to let your community come close. You need to let some people help you. If that is you tonight, tonight, this morning, I'm used to speaking at Chi Alpha, if that is you this morning, Will you sign up to join a life group? There will be a table in the lobby. This will change your life. And you will walk with a freedom you didn't know you could experience. And finally, the last group of you are the people who have done this already. And you're so excited for the people around you, but you're like, Sarah, I've kind of already done those things. There is one verse left that we have not read from the story, and it is verse 45. It says, Therefore, many who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. My final encouragement to you is invite someone to come see the miracle that Jesus has worked in your life. Invite them to your life group. Invite them to Easter Sunday. Invite them to your kids' soccer games. Invite them to dinner at your house. Invite people to see the miracle of God working in and through you. And God willing, we will see many come to trust in Jesus. Amen? Amen. So we're going to step into worship. And whatever that would mean for you right now, I ask you to just go for it. Step out of the tomb. Embrace life. Embrace community. And make sure you don't do it alone. Thanks. Thanks.